Welcome to episode 132 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas with a favorite podcast guest joining me again for this episode. We've got Mr. James Dodds on the show. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm really excited. Me too. For those that don't know James, James is a rogue coach and longtime rogue member who we've had on. This is your fourth time, James, to be on. Most recently, you were on episode 115 talking about workout management. So you're back 17 episodes later. And this time, we're going to talk about goals and not necessarily goal setting, but we're going to talk about the reasons why people don't get their goals in, in the running context. And I've actually done a workshop recently on this a couple times actually in Dallas to share my perspective with runners on why I think people don't get their goals, what holds them back. And, and uh, those have been really productive, really, really well received. So I was talking to you and I'm like, James, this would be a perfect podcast topic. Would love to get you on to riff about it. You've got your list. I've got my list. We haven't shared lists and we're just going to basically play volleyball here going back and forth on reasons from each of our individual perspectives on why people don't get their goals. I'm not sure how many we're going to get to. We'll see. Hoping to get to at least 10 different reasons and the conversation will flow from there. So excited to talk about this topic with you. Excited to have you on. Before we get into it, though, I've got a little intro that I want to do with you actually responding to a listener email. And this listener email actually came in response to an episode I did with Brent Stein, another road coach who I had on recently. And this email comes from a guy named Paul. There's a lot of different tentacles here, so I'm kind of curious to see what your perspective is, and I want to riff on it with you. So I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we can respond, and then we'll jump into our main topic. So Paul says, I was listening to your interview with road coach Brent Stein and really appreciated his and your perspective on training principles. Based on my experience as a runner, I can endorse all of them. With that said, one of the anecdotes mentioned in the context of recovery sparked some questions that sometimes bother me as a runner. It was about the athlete who goes to a recovery center in Austin to receive various recovery therapies. A quick perusal through the Generator Athlete Lab website. It costs $65 for a day pass, $119 for a 60-minute massage, etc. This leaves me asking several questions of myself. How much money are we as hobby athletes willing to spend on our hobby? Which of these investments actually pay off? And where are the limits? One answer to these questions would, be to, would seem to be that people pay for all kinds of things all the time that they want, and it's no big deal. Some people buy sports cars. Others go on safaris, and others might pay for infrared saunas. Another possible approach to the questions is simply to determine how much we are willing to invest and whether the investment pays off. Based on, the, based on the interviews you've had on the program, it seems that most of the recovery investments other than good sleep are a waste of time and money. Without having ever tried any of these pay-for-recovery therapies, it seems to me that like they're selling snake oil. It sort of makes me want to scream, the emperor is not wearing any clothes. <laughs> Finally, this kind of running industrial complex seems to encourage or feed the selfish or self-centered side of running. We can always buy more stuff, spend more time, pay for body work, etc. I accept that people 
very much including myself here, are naturally selfish and that running for many of us is a selfish pursuit. When you ask why do you run, the only honest answer from, from me is for myself, for my own goals, ego, etc. And while I accept that running is or can be selfish and that that's okay, I also think we all need to keep this selfishness in check. Ultimately, I think we as hobby runners, regardless of our big goals, need to remember that we're not chasing Olympic medals. And from my point of view, at least, we need to act like that. We need to wake up early, put in the miles and the work, eat our fruits and vegetables, meet our other life commitments, and then go to bed early. We don't need to act like professional runners whose livelihoods depend on race results. And to be honest, this fact should make all of us very, very happy. Thanks for all of the interviews and insights. I apologize for the long email. <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack there. Initial reactions. If Paul lives in town, we should go have a beer because this could be its own podcast. This is not a joke. This is not flattery. Um, this could be its own podcast. I heard so many things that triggered responses along the way and some of which I've already forgotten because when we got to the second part of the third question, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but a couple of things that jump out me jump out at me are like um hobby runner um <clears throat> i want to address cost too but hobby runner like it, it depends on how much it means to you because on one hand you could say that running is my hobby it is it meets that criteria it's a huge social need um but the meaning for me is pretty deep and i i, I understand why he might use the word selfish um but i've spent a year learning about uh taking care of myself and ensuring i'm good with me I'm solid with me before I can actually be, you know, half decent to the rest of the world around me. And so selfish is a unique word because it comes with a lot of baggage. And so it, it, it may not necessarily be selfish. Um, I'd like to dig in with Paul on a one-on-one -on -one basis and figure out, all right, you're saying you're running for your ego. You're, you're doing things for yourself. But why? But why still? Why do you feel the need to be someone who gets their ass out of bed early in the morning? Like, what does that mean to you? And so when you do hit your goals, we're going to talk about not hitting your goals because obviously people are crushed when they don't hit their goals. So I think there's a deeper meaning to it. Um, and just how deep and meaningful it is for you in that season of life can drastically impact the budget that you would allocate towards it. Um, I had a, a goal setting conversation actually at lunch today with a good friend. And I think that there's six big areas of life that I won't go into those details because that's its own podcast, but it rotates sometimes where you're willing to invest more in one season versus another. Um, but I want to boil it down again um, to, I guess, two final statements on it because I know we've got a whole other topic to cover. Um, but running's one of the cheapest sports in the world, and I found a pretty decent way to spend very little money on recovery. Um, getting into Barton Springs or even getting into the pool at my apartment are, are ways that I can let my legs quickly recover or at least kickstart that recovery process, laying down on the floor um, after a run, letting my central nervous system cool down. Um, but when it comes to actual massages, like when I get later into a season and I've got a race that I really care about and I've been training long and hard for, I've got so much time and emotional investment in that thing. Uh, I used to pay Doug, Doug Consigli. Doug Consiglio on a weekly basis to massage out my Achilles uh, just so I could hold together for that race. And I wouldn't have put a limit on what I would have spent in that six to eight week window just because I knew I was so close. So I feel like the budget and the amount to spend can fluctuate. And I love that Paul used the word industrial complex. Um, that's another reason why I want to have a beer with the guy. That can be true 
that can be true, uh, that it's becoming its own industrial complex, but at the same time still meeting a very good need. Um, it's not all bad or all good. It's, you know, people got to start their businesses and then pay their bills and build their shops. And we come in and some are coming in for wholesome reasons and some are just buying something because it's available. All good reactions. I want to first go to the hobby runner designation. And I guess first before I go there, I should say, Paul, generally, I agree with your overarching point here, which is that we need to keep it as simple as possible and that there are people that are probably wasting money on recovery when they could be instead of spending money on an infrared sauna or a special ice pool at the recovery lounge, they could just be getting more sleep. I mean, there are I, I completely get the point that, yes, keep it simple. You don't have to spend a lot of money on recovery if you're doing the little things right eating well sleeping balancing your stress and rest inside your training and we and we pointed that out in that conversation with christy eschwanden about her book good to go so i totally get that point and agree with it generally although i do have my recovery modalities that i splurge on massage being one of them but i want to start with this hobby runner designation i don't like that at all I don't like putting hierarchies on people people's goals. I don't think that's fair, and I don't think it's right. And I think that whether you're striving for Olympic medals or not, and your goals might be to Boston qualify or to run a sub-four-hour marathon or a five-hour marathon or to finish a marathon or to run a half in a certain time or to just run a certain distance further than you've ever run before – any of those goals to me are powerful and relevant in the context of that individual. And I don't think one is more important than the other. And I think part of our problem as a society is that we put hierarchy on goals and we say, James, because you're not striving for Olympic medals, you don't, you're not as good or don't have the same access to the training principles, to the recovery modalities, to the, the thought process about about being your best self because your goals aren't as important as somebody who's trying to get a gold medal. And I just fundamentally disagree with that premise. And I don't think Paul's necessarily trying to put people on a pedestal and other people below that, but that's kind of what it feels like to me. And that to me is really dangerous. And I think, I think somebody who might just have a lesser goal than get on a podium could in a lot of ways make more impact with their life and by achieving that goal actually affect more people and you know not just themselves but others because that creates a personal transformation to them that might lead to a transformation in a bigger group that might lead to a movement beyond that and so if somebody here at rogue runs a sub four hour marathoner and is able to by doing that overcome huge obstacles and inspire others to then get on their own journey that then transforms transforms them as humans who's to say that's not more powerful or more impactful or more important to spend money on than somebody who's getting a gold medal i'm not going to say that and a part of my mission with this podcast is to tell everybody regardless of your goals that you're important that your goals are worthy and that you have access to the same principles training methods workouts recovery modalities mental strategy and tips as as an olympian i just fundamentally believe that and that's how i operate as a coach 
So I've got issue with that, and I don't want to put hierarchy on goals. So I got no issue if somebody decides to spend money on a certain thing because they think it's helping them. Now I might be skeptical myself and say, "Yeah, I don't know, recovery infrared sauna. I'm not going to spend money on that personally. That's not something I believe in." But who am I to say that somebody else who believes that's working for them is wasting their money? I'm not. That that's to me that's not my job or place, and. So, yes, I agree with his overarching point that we should keep it simple, that we don't have to spend a lot of money, and that sometimes the money around the sport can degrade the reasons or can take away from the reasons why we do it. But, man, if you want to get a recovery membership or go get massage and that's helping you be your best self through running and that's how you want to prioritize spending your funds versus spending it on something else, I got no problem with that. So those are my reactions. But I appreciate Paul's point very much. I'm not trying to attack it. I'm just trying to say it's complicated, right? Agreed. Yeah, there's so much in there. It really could be its own podcast, so maybe we can revisit this. <laughs> yes. um, I'm already planting seeds for a future invite. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I would say just, like, the knowledge that an industry exists to sell you something um, should just lead you to have a critical eye when you're evaluating those those offerings, but not to say, oh, it's just some big industry trying to sell us a bunch of stuff that's really expensive, so I'm just not even going to partake. I'm just going to step out of it. Um, and again, I don't think Paul's completely saying that, um, but just let it lead us to a, a little bit more critical eye when we go shop those things and decide what do I really need in this season rather than just saying I'm going to uh, completely remove myself from it. Yeah. Yeah. And the underlying point is still valid, as I said, which is that most people should just focus on doing the basics right instead of spending a bunch of money. If you're not sleeping enough, spending a bunch of money on infrared sauna probably isn't going to be the thing you should be doing. But then again, if you think it works for you <laughs> and it's somehow offsetting that lack of sleep, then who am I to say? I don't know. But as you say, perhaps that is a full episode for another day and we need mm -hmm. to get to our main topic today. But I wanted to say thank you, Paul, for the for the email really appreciate it and really appreciate the dialogue that it just sparked and would love to hear back from you with your reactions on our comments as well as reactions from anybody who might have have thoughts about that that exchange with that we just had you can always email me at chris at rogue running before we jump into our main topic a couple quick reminders and then we'll talk about why people don't get their goals but a couple quick reminders one I just posted on Sunday the our, our first special edition episode from the Clean Sport Collective podcast that I just started with Kara Goucher and her agent, Shanna. That podcast is now live as a separate podcast on iTunes. So if you want to check it out, you can go to Apple Podcasts and search for the Clean Sport Collective podcast and find it. We've already got three episodes up. And then we'll have another episode coming up in 10 days where we are interviewing the great uh, the great Olympian and U.S. miler, Jenny Simpson. So check that out. Secondly, our next season, season four of the podcast training group is open for signups. Just opened on June 1st, three, four days ago. And you can sign up until June 21st. You can check that out and get more info as well as listen to a sample podcast training episode if you go to roguerunning.com forward slash podcast training. 
to get more info. And of course, if you have questions, you can always, again, email me, chris at roguerunning.com. All right, James, let's jump in. And I'm going to start because I'm the host, and then you can react. We'll, Touche. We'll react, and then you can lob your thing at me. So we'll kind of go back and forth here, volleyball style, with our different reasons why people don't get their goals. We each have a list of 10 of our own. We haven't shared these again, so we're going to be reacting to each other in real time, and we'll see where this goes. My first one, which I think people might be able to predict that this will be my first one, given some of our history and in terms of talking about goal setting on this podcast. But my number one reason why people don't get their goals is because they don't know their why. They don't know why they want the goal. And and we've talked about this a bunch, talking about purpose and understanding your purpose. But for me, those who don't understand why they want something won't get it because it will be a hollow pursuit in a sense. And this can come in different forms. It can come in the form of somebody else tells them they should go after something or maybe says, hey, come do this thing with me. And then it becomes about somebody else's reasons and not their own, which in, in oftentimes when that happens, you might see some initial interest and spark from somebody, but then the staying power isn't there. Another way I see this is that, you know, if somebody starts in a pursuit of a goal, hits some diversity, sorry, some adversity, might have, in the case of running, an injury pop up or things aren't going as well as they think they should, or maybe they don't get their goal on the first go round. If they don't have a clear reason of why they want it, then that staying power isn't there. They'll, they'll tend to fade away from it. Often for me as a coach, and I don't necessarily love using this example because I know it only applies to a subset of the people that we're talking to, but I get a lot of people come to me and say, hey, I want to qualify for Boston. And that, by the way, is a worthy goal in our sport. It is a worthy goal and a powerful goal to accomplish. And I'm not knocking that goal in any way. But I do also believe that everyone needs to have a unique reason why they want that goal. And it can't just be because that's the goal everybody wants or because that's a standard that's out there in our sport. And oftentimes when it is that latter thing, when it's just something that they're going after because it's there and because others are, then I find that people don't have the commitment, the staying power, the real connection to that goal that allows them to get through the ups and the downs the consistency that's required to achieve a goal like that, the things you have to overcome to achieve a goal like that, to perhaps the near misses that you have to to get through to overcome a goal like that. And so I highly encourage people before they set a goal or as they're setting a goal to really figure out not just the goal, but why specifically they want it. Yeah, I agree. I didn't think that was going to be your number one, though. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so that's one one response. Um, I'm really excited to list these out to find out how much we crossed over. And so that one wasn't on my list, and okay. I didn't think it would be your number one. Um, okay. I also want to say just to the listeners real quick, um, uh, just to frame it all, typically when I'm thinking about podcasts or even coaching talks, um, usually everything's applicable. I'm, I'm always trying to make sure that everything is applicable to all people. I think the fun of this particular topic is that 
uh, think of the bullet points we hit through today as buckets that you might happen to fall in in this particular season. So a lot of what I wrote down are just things that came from the gut and the mind working together. But in my own experiences, it's 24 marathons, 10 years. It's like a lot of goals not hit. You know, I always get across the line, but a lot of goals not hit. And so I wrote down a lot of things that I think would be applicable at different times in different seasons. So I just wanted to give that up front um, before responding. But when I, you covered most on like the importance of knowing the why. And so what I want to do is just stretch it into maybe why people uh, won't let that. I, I think they may know deep down the why, but sometimes there's a fear to attach that level of meaning to it because there is a risk. And I've thought about this from the coaching perspective of how much meaning to attach something to an athlete, because sometimes there's been moments where I thought I could, I could give the right speech and push this athlete over the line and get their head in a space where they're going to go and do something special on race day. But I balked at it at times, not always at times I would balk at it because I also wasn't sure I, as a coach was ready to, deal with the aftermath if they didn't hit the goal. Mm -hmm. And if that's firing in me as a coach, then I know it's firing in the athletes as well. They're afraid to maybe let that meaning that's deep down inside them come up and touch this hobby sport. <laughs> right. Quote, end quote. Because now it becomes so much more than a hobby, and now there's a lot more on the line. And so to risk not hitting it with all that why, purpose, and meaning attached to it, on the front end, looking out could sound soul-crushing. I've learned when I let my heart and let my uh, body get into it, like let that why and purpose get mixed in, even when I didn't hit the goal, it wasn't as soul-crushing. But I understand on the front end why we fear we would. Because if we're going to say it's going to be that special to hit the goal, well, then it could be that disappointing to miss the goal. So I just wanted to touch on maybe why people wouldn't go to the why. Mm. Um, because I think you nailed on the importance yeah, of that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good point it does take a level of fearlessness to go there. And not that f you have to be fearless, <laughs> but you just have to deal with that fear of, of attaching meaning to something and the pressure that might come with it. Cause I think a lot of it comes down to pressure. People think if I attach that meaning, then that means it's real and have to do it <laughs> versus if you don't then you're hiding from that a little bit and saying all right well if i don't get it it's okay if i don't get it it's okay it doesn't mean that much to me you're saying that at the surface level when you know deep down it does but it is such a worthwhile exercise and will lead you to m to much more goal smashing if you're willing to go there we've seen it yep so I would encourage people to do it. And we haven't talked about purpose in a long time in this podcast. And so that's that's a reminder. And it's just, just to do your homework there. And I think as a part of that homework, it's easy to come up with a list of reasons. Oftentimes when I ask somebody, why do you want this? And they'll, they'll rattle off three things, four things. And they'll come up with reasons that all sound real and 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 rational and and meaningful in a way I think it's a little harder than to prioritize those and say okay no really it's this one thing because yeah it's okay to have a bunch of reasons but you really need to also be able to clearly articulate in my mind the one thing that matters 
Because as we've talked about before on this podcast, at mile 21 or 22, if you're in a marathon or mile 11 and a half or mile 5 in a 10K, final half mile of 5K, in those moments, the goal has to be able to take the pressure. And your reason for wanting it has to be able to take the pressure. Because if it can't and you can't focus on that singular thing in those moments, then it's not the real thing. Yeah. All right, throwing it to you. What's your first? All right, so mine is undertrained. <laughs> oh, okay. Number one is undertrained. You nice. just didn't do the work. Yeah, um, didn't do the work. Yeah, so um, I think this is going to branch into, um, again, I think of these as buckets, and when you put things in buckets, you could spin the buckets in so many ways. But what I'm what I'm saying here is the undertrained. So I think, I think of the athletes and even uh, at times myself – um, the, the person that's falling in love with the, <clears throat> falling in love with the result, but not the process. I know that's something you love to talk to your athletes about. So mm. I wanted to change it to those terms. Um, but it's very easy to take that Boston qualifying standard and say like, I want that. Like you see your friend on Instagram posting after their BQ or see them running Boston. And it seems really glamorous. Um, or if someone going sub three for the first time, um, whatever it may be, whatever that accomplishment is we love the result but the process could we could we actually fall in love with someone's process my two people that have been in my head my entire running career and I've talked about them before on the podcast are Allison Maxis and Paul Terranova I would love to have those two people's results um, I admire what they've done and what they choose to do but I've had this conversation I had this conversation with myself this morning partly I think because the podcast was coming up and it was in my head but also because it was pretty humid outside um can you can you fall in love with the idea of running in the heat and the humidity and covering hills in West Austin day after day after day after day and I think what happens is that people will the reason why I bucketed it under the concept of under trained they didn't do the work is because you see the result you look at the program, you realize the sticks or the heart of the program are your long run, your quality uh, workout. Um, and even some people don't even go here, but I'm like, you got to have this, your medium long run. Those are the sticks or the foundation. And so they're like, great, those are my three days a week. So you got yourself running three days a week, um, possibly throwing up 25, 30 miles. And I don't want to insult anyone only running 25, 30 miles, depending on where they're at in their training uh, cycle or development. That may be a good weekly mileage goal for that individual. But when we're talking about something like Boston qualifying when it's out of reach or sub three when it's out of reach or even sub four, that took me like six marathons to go under four hours in the marathon. Um, so any kind of stretch goal, if you're telling me you're going to devote three days of running to that goal and expect that the result come, ah, <laughs> sorry. Not, not going to happen <laughs> unless you're supremely talented. Right. Sometimes people can cheat that way. I had this conversation earlier on a run today, by the way, as we record this is Global Running Day. We're going to release it today, too, because this is going to be so good. But June 5th, and I was having this conversation today, and this, my friend, he was talking about somebody else. He said, you know who's, who's annoying? And he gave the name, and I'm like, I'm like, why do you think he's annoying? And, and he wasn't talking about it in terms of personality. He was talking about, basically, he does some annoying things. And I'm like, what does he do that's annoying to you? And he said, well, he came to this. We had this summer track meet series in Austin. He came there, showed up to run the mile. Before that, 
He said he was going to run a certain time in the mile. Didn't hit the time. Was slower than that. Still ran a fast time, but was slower than that. And then posted on social media about his time and saying that that's still good and that he did it without training or without a lot of training. And he's like, that's annoying. And I'm like, yeah, that is annoying. That's actually one of my biggest pet peeves. I don't care what you can do without training or undertrained or without putting in the work. I don't care. It's not interesting to me. The fact that this individual could run a really fast mile without training is uninteresting to me because I know him and I know he could run way faster if he was actually committed to doing the work. And he's somebody I've known for eight plus years and he's not. And so constantly you'll get posts about him doing a half or this mile or whatever where he's like, I ran this time, isn't that great? But I didn't do the work so I could do better. And it's almost like he's defining himself by his potential and not by his actual results. And that is so frustrating to me. It's like, I'm not interested in what type of half marathon you can run untrained. People post that all the time. Oh, I ran a half, didn't train, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Not interesting to me. Now, if you're doing it for fun or whatever, if there's a different reason, fine. I don't care. But if you're doing it and you're bragging or you're talking about the time and you're saying you did that untrained as some kind of humble brag, no, <laughs> not cool. What I want to know is what can you do when you fully commit? Like inspiration to me comes in the form of work and discipline and commitment to a goal and a process and what you can achieve when you put all of those things in place. And it's interesting though, but thinking about what holds people back from that, some of it to me is just pure laziness. Like that I don't want to do the work. Some of it is also kind of going to your point about having a fear of attaching meaning. I think some of it is also a fear of, of success, mm -hmm. a fear of if I do the work that I don't have any excuses and then if I show up and don't get it, then what? So that sometimes manifests in people where it's almost a self-sabotage type, type situation where they're, they're not doing all the work because then they know the pressure's there. Otherwise, as it is, they can say, oh, well, I didn't get it, but I also didn't run as much as I should have. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. I know exactly what you mean because um, Ryan, our new coach at Team Rogue, just put out the schedule for one-on-ones, and I met with him this Monday because I've been telling myself since the announcement that he was going to be here, I was going to wait as long as I could to have a one-on-one -on -one or even talk about a goal, um, but I feared it. Um, I kind of lo I love being the lifestyle runner, and that was part of my goal. So I'm not I'm not I'm not mm. criticizing myself. I'm glad I'm very proud of what I've done in these first five months of the year. You had that season, right? Yeah. Um, but I knew. I had committed to myself um, that when we start this new phase um, that I was going to actually put a goal out there and actually be accountable now. Because as long as I'm the fun-loving, super jovial, go run them all the time guy, then I have nothing to risk and everything to simply gain. And sometimes you need that in your life. And I, again, I needed that in my life and I did that. But now this second half of the year, it's like, okay, that, that's what I would say to this talented guy that's saying, look, I ran this in this time, but I didn't train. Yeah. Um, you didn't risk anything. So it's not even a goal setting talk. It's just you showing off in front of people that are really putting their heart out on the line and trying to like do something special in their own world. So in that sense, time becomes irrelevant. I don't care what you ran in the race. Um, maybe set a proper goal for yourself and 
see what happens. Yeah, and do the work. All right, so going to me next. So my the second thing on my list is those that don't get their goals, don't have a coach or group to help them do that. They try to do it on their own. And that's not to say you can't get goals on your own. I certainly did. I used to be self-coached, and I was able to achieve certain levels of results that I wanted it without without a coach, without a group. But I think if you want to achieve at the highest level and if you want accountability at the highest level, then you need a counterparty and a coach who can check you, who can call you on your BS, who can say, James, it's time to switch gears. Like we were having fun the first half of the year. Now it's time to get serious. So this is bullshit. You didn't show up today or whatever that may be. So you need somebody who can hold you accountable, who can see your weaknesses and help you see them, have you work on those things, give you that perspective that you can't get from your own place, and then have a group around you of people that can text you when you don't show up, that can push you on quality workouts, that you can chase sometimes and you can hold back with other times, knowing that that's what you're supposed to do together. Those things that we have at Rogue, and I take for granted, honestly, now having been in this environment for almost 10 years, I take for granted, and not everybody has access to those things, but can find them in whatever form they may be. It could be a coach you find locally, a group you run with, could be our podcast training group, you know, that's operating virtually across 10 different countries, and they're holding each other accountable through a virtual platform in ways that are just as powerful as I've seen in as some of our in-person groups. So there are ways to find that for yourself. And and it could even be just following a book, following a book with the coach's perspective that has schedules in it. And so, yeah, maybe you don't get that live dynamic perspective, but you do get that that other perspective. So that, that to me is number two. Those that don't get their goals don't have a team around them to help. Yeah, good one. Also not on my list. You're preaching to the choir on that one, though. The reason why it's not on my list is maybe I take it for granted. Chris, I have six calendar holds a week for runs now with other people. Nice. It started off with three a week where I was guaranteed camaraderie. Yeah. And then the others, I was like, okay, I just got to sneak in a three or four miler on my own. I, I know I can do it. I've got six days a week now with other people. Yeah. That's how much I lean on them. And, and and I would say, like you were talking about, if they don't have Team Rogue, if I mean, if they don't have a Rogue program or a, a program in their city, um, then at the very least, uh, you said the book, I would say at the very least, tell one person that goal that it, you don't like letting down. We're going to let people down in life, but there are certain people we really don't want to let them down. Those people that were like, man, I, I gave you my word. And I said I was going to do this. And even though it's for me, I gave you my word I would do it. And I didn't. And you get that shitty feeling when you tell that person you didn't do it. Um, or you did something you said you wouldn't do. At least find that one person on earth and tell the goal to them. Um, but ideally, you find some people to run with. Because <laughs> I feed off of it like crazy. Me too. I almost can't even run by myself anymore. It's kind of nuts. I remember back, this would have been in 20... 13 maybe 2014 I'd gotten to a place where I plateaued a little bit and I was questioning whether or not I would ever run a faster marathon it had been almost a decade since I had run a, a p- marathon PR 
And I've talked about this, I think, before from a different perspective on the podcast, but I had a goal-setting session actually with Lululemon at the time because I was an ambassador with them. And the woman who was leading it said, you know, was asking what my goals were and why I gave those things. And then she asked, why wasn't I getting them? And the reason at the time was because I had told myself this story, which is that I'm a busy guy. I've got three young kids. I've got a business, athletes I coach myself. I've got a lot on my plate. So it's okay for me to not be my best self as a runner my, you know, individually because I've got all this other stuff that I'm doing. And, th- and those are all, on the surface, justifiable reasons, right, to not be my best running self. But I knew deep down that that was just a bullshit story that I told myself to basically cop out of getting what I really wanted, which is to run a fast marathon, faster than I'd ever run. And, and the thing is, deep down, I also knew exactly what I need to do to get another marathon PR. I knew it. It just was a matter of having somebody hold a mirror up and face it. And one of those things was accountability on those runs outside of the sessions where we're meeting here. And so I'll never forget, I sent this email to so many of my running friends that I could get in the two line. And the subject was a case of the Mondays. <laughs> because Monday in particular was a struggle for me. Like I couldn't get in my runs for whatever reason. And 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 so case of the Mondays. And so sent that around and said, hey, look, I'm trying to run at this time roughly on Mondays. Who's in? And for a while, the outcome of that email was a Whole Foods Monday morning group that met at like, I think we met at 6.15, <laughs> which was a compromise from a few different people because some people wanted earlier. I wanted a little later. Anyway, 6.15 every Monday, we went and we got it done. And that started for me a path of consistency that ultimately led to a marathon PR. But as you say, it was finding that little group. We have the resources. We just got to tap into them. If you're in Austin, Texas... <laughs> I have no idea why you'd run alone unless you're just truly one of those type that can zone out and meditate. If it's meditative for you and you need your personal time, great, go do that. That's a beautiful thing. I admire it and respect it. Not even say I envy it. Um, But there are so many people, so many paces, meeting up at so many coffee shops. I mean, we own the coffee shops here. The (laughs) Wednesdays are my coffee shop run and Fridays are the Barton Springs run. I mean, you want a cold dip in a pool, you want a coffee, (laughs) you want tacos afterwards. We used to just... Uh, run from Taco Deli. There's no, there, there's so many people that'll meet you and be like, yeah, I'll sweat it out for 30, 40 minutes just to eat Taco Deli just with you. Tacos. Yeah. yeah. So that's no excuse. Build your team, your coach, your accountability running partners, and go get the goal. So that's my second. Your second. You know what? I'm going to, uh, my second goes, uh, my, so I have undertrained and overtrained. I was going to hit these, like, I like talking about undertrained, overtrained, like hitting the front end and back end of things. But I actually want to segue. You were talking about that season in life. And since I've known you for a long time, you've been a friend and mentor. I also think that's the season where you came up with the statement, why not me? Isn't that correct? Yep. So I thought you were about to go there and I was like, we're experiencing (laughs) ESP right now. But since you brought up that season in life, I want to go to that because one of mine is confidence. Um, And so whether it's confidence or belief, like maybe maybe the why not me is more of a belief rather than a confidence thing. Um, But either way, I think sometimes people don't don't hit their goals because um, they don't believe that they can. Mm. And so they'll set it. Some, some people have the most brilliant. And this is why on the very front end, I said, hey, find out which bucket you're in in this season. 
I don't think everyone needs to go and psychoanalyze themselves and find out, do I have a belief problem or a confidence problem? Um, but there are certain people who are doing the work, setting brilliant goals. They're attaching the meeting. They're showing up to one-on-ones with their coaches. They're training six days a week. They've got four of those six with friends. They're doing everything right. But deep down, they still don't believe. They, they, they don't understand um, why it would work for them. They think that somehow, like everybody else, follows the guidelines, follows the rules, and they, they almost have a guaranteed outcome. But when they get into their own psyche, those insecurities well up, or maybe not insecurities, but just factors in life around them start to make them say, I, I don't know, it just won't work for me. Uh, I, it, I don't know. I just still don't believe. And so instead of me dragging on about that point, I, I'd love for you to share that. I want to draw to you that whole why not me perspective because it had an impact on myself as a runner yeah. and I've used it's one of my favorite one-liners to to use when appropriate I save it for the right moment and when I can see an athlete that's dealing with that to look him in the eye and say no 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 it applies to you too you do the work you get the result it does apply to you so I'd love for you to just share yeah. that story and talk about that a bit yeah I mean that was something that came in parallel with this realization in that season for me that I wasn't done that you know, part of it was I told myself this story that had all these reasons why I couldn't achieve my best anymore. You know, it was, and, and by the way, at the time I was also completely happy with that outcome in a sense, you know, it was, it was, I had gotten to a place with my running where if I never achieved another marathon PR, I would still be okay because I loved it for so many other reasons. And that hasn't always been true for me as somebody who started out doing it to be competitive, to try to run faster, who it was all about that for me at some time. But now I'm in this place where simultaneously, I believe I could do it forever without ever having getting another PR and still love it. But at the same time, I still want those PRs. So that's a, a nice place. But, but part of it was the story I was telling myself that, you know what? I'm getting older. I'm too busy. Like it's just that season has passed for me of running faster. But the other part of it, and I wouldn't say that it was confidence for me because I think deep down I knew it was possible, but it, it came to me not only in, in that sort of context of not only is it possible, but I have the tools to do it, but also in the context of I'm deserving of that too. So why not me? In that, why do, you know? Why don't I deserve it? Just like everybody else deserves a faster marathon. And I'd gotten to a place where I was giving a lot of myself to others as a coach, and had almost deprioritized my own goal setting and goal achieving because I had put it below their goals in my own prioritization. And and so part of that season was reordering that a little bit to say, you know what. My goals are at least as important. Why not me? My goals are at least are as important as theirs. And even if I put my goals at times above the goals of my athletes, then that's going to have a trickle-down effect that will inspire others to get their goals. So it was a little bit of reordering to not only give myself the belief that I could PR again, but also to feel like I deserved it too. So that's a little bit more context. But I started. I've, I've used that a lot. I mean, when people will say... Because I see this all the time where people are, they'll, they'll often apologize 
when they articulate a goal that they think is far out there, they'll be like, ah, you know, this is kind of what I'm thinking about, but I don't, you know, like maybe that's crazy or like, that's probably silly for me. Right. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just kind of, ah shucks or apologetic about it when you're like, no, why not you? Why can't you do that? I believe you have to believe, but sometimes it's hard to get them to take that leap. Mm-hmm. Asking that question is a part of it though. Yeah. Agreed. And I would say like, I always want to leave the, not just point out the concept, but leave the listeners with um, a few practical things like we did on the last one. So um, I would say look to the people around you. Cause I think you had told me at that, that time too, you're training with Allison Maxis and you've got all these athletes around you just crushing races. Right. right? Yeah. And you're like, why not me? I'm doing all the work. Might as well go claim the, the glory on race day too. Right. right. Um, so it's like, look at the, the, the people to your left and right. If you're living in that lifestyle and that pack, then why not you? Why not, why not you go get that result as well? Yeah. Um, and then also look at accomplishments. Um, so if it's a listener that it, that it is more of a confidence thing, I would say to that listener, then, um, look at accomplishments in the rest of your life. So I, you know, if, if people not at rogue could see me that I don't have a natural runners build, um, but I've been successful in a lot of facets of life and a lot of things that I've, I've swung at. And I just never thought that that would translate to the running space, despite the fact that I take running and use it to translate to other spaces in my life. Um, so I would say the, the, the athlete that is struggling with the confidence in this specific arena, look at success, other successes in your life and say, well, when I applied myself there, I did get the result. I'm looking to my left and my right. They're applying themselves here and they're getting the result. So why not me? How about I apply myself here and start expecting that result? Because when you start expecting it, you start believing it, that's going to drive up the confidence and you're going you're gonna to have a much better chance at hitting your goal. Agree with that. One other small bit of practical advice is positive self-talk. To me, affirming to yourself, looking in the mirror, saying things out loud, I can get this goal, whatever it may be. Looking at yourself every day, reprogramming your brain to believe. It's simple. It sounds cheesy, but it could be 30 seconds of literally repeating that to yourself five times over in the mirror. And eventually you will reprogram that negative self-talk and find a way to believe. So there's magic there too. So those are a couple of practical tips on building belief. But I like that one. It's also not on my list. So we've, we're so far not overlapping very much, which is good. My third, and I would I would think you would expect this from me, but... To me, the third reason why people don't get their goals is because they're not thinking long-term enough. They want to, to quote a phrase from my recent guest, Sasha Golish, they want to microwave their fitness. They want to microwave their goal pursuit. And if your goal is the right level of big, then you can't do that. You've got to think long-term, especially in this running game. You've got to think long-term consistency you got to think about how your seasons fit together long term, making sure you're working all the different parts of your aerobic system, developing your strengths. If you're a marathoner who wants to achieve well in the marathon but hasn't recently raced a 5K or 10K or half marathon and worked those systems, then it's going to be really hard to be your best marathon self. And if you're trying to get a 5K PR but you haven't spent time in a base 
building mode where you're focused on mileage, maybe and not so much the top end speeds, then you may not be able to get that 5K goal because your aerobic capacity isn't what it needs to be to achieve that result. So in my opinion, you've got to think in 18 month to two year windows, not that you have to write things in pen, you can pencil things in, but think in bigger chunks of time, which would include training seasons, would include goal races along the way that would get you to your goal with the right balance. And ultimately would also allow you to circle a race date on the calendar, maybe two or three years out that you think is going to be the big day where all the work you do leads towards that pinnacle. And not only to me, is it a, a practical training concept to think long-term, but to me, there's also a mental component that's important, which is that, you know, I plan my cycles in two year blocks roughly, but it gives me that long-term vision that allows me not to be impatient in the short term, you know, whereas like, for example, for now I'm training for this ultra marathon, right? And I've got some goals beyond that, which would be to run a fast road marathon next February here in Austin. But I know that this season, this trail ultra season for me is about aerobic development, strength, and having fun and mixing it up so that I'm fresh mentally when I go back to the roads. And so when I have those temptations to get a little aggro with my workout or to do something that doesn't fit the current season, then I can check myself because I know that those goals are for a different, or those, those, those modes are for a different season and that season's coming. It's on the calendar. I'll be able to scratch that itch when it's time, but now is not the time I'm, I'm in a different mode. So it kind of gives me this mental peace and patience to not get greedy or impatient with the work I'm doing now because I can see the big picture. Yeah, I like that you put it in perspective of 18 to two, 18 month to two year window. So again, that's allowing, you know, the listeners to have something practical and, and centering it around maybe a race or two, um, not to mention the feeder races that prep them. Um, but I want to drag it out even longer. I feel like when we talk about having long term perspective, that's like an accordion. We could we could press that in and stretch it out. And I'm going to brag on a couple folks real quick. So um, one I wanted to mention as you were talking, um, I was thinking of. Bobby Garcia, my first coach, longtime road coach here. Um, one of the things that inspired me after my very first ma- marathon, um, I tried to do it alone. It was a disaster. And then I joined Rogue, and I'm in Bobby's group, and I get to go to one of his parties. And I walk up into his office. We were all drinking and like ro- letting ourselves roam around his entire house and check it out. And we're in his man cave. We see his computer, and he's got on the wall over 20 marathon medals, not to mention all the half marathons, et cetera. He's got over 20 marathon medals hanging on that wall, and he didn't start running marathons until he was 40 or older. I'm not even 40 yet, and I can think along the way how many times I've been frustrated that I haven't reached X goal or Y goal, and Bobby didn't even start until he was 40, Like, and then he put together a whole career. So I had to challenge myself like, hey, I've got a lot of time ahead of me to still accomplish a lot of goals. Um, the next layer I wanted to add to that is Brian Ward, a friend of both of ours. Um, he's a guy that can we can easily drop into that bucket of the athlete we said earlier where it's like, man, this guy's just running on talent. And I've seen people do it at times. I don't want to deny that this guy is genetically gifted. He does have – he was he was born 
with a different genetic wiring than I was born with or some of our other athletes were born with. But nonetheless, when you were to like, if you were to step back and look at how long his journey is, he just ran a 245 last fall. It's easy to look at that and say, I want to run a 245, but I don't think I can because that guy's just genetically gifted. His first marathon was four hours, and that was pre rogue. He's been running at rogue six to eight years, and I watched him swing at sub three so many times. We took him from 330 down to 312, down to 307 to 305. He was, he got injured. He went through. Uh, PT, he recovers and gets back into training and then swings at it and hits like 301 to 303. He's still not sub three and he's putting in 60 mile weeks. I wrote programs that I was afraid of. Things that I knew I couldn't do and wouldn't even do. And he would go out and he would always get the work done and he would still not get under three. That's why the first time he did go under three, he went from 301 to 251 because it all came together over the course of six to eight years. That's a body of work right there. When you start talking like eight years, 10 years, that's a huge body of work moving towards that sub three goal. So someone walks into Rogue today, they run a 315 in a marathon and they're thinking sub three is a great goal and then in six months they don't hit sub three ah uh, you haven't tried very long you don't know what a body of work is <laughs> right. you got to buy into that long-term perspective if you want that 245 it's intimidating though that idea of thinking about six year eight year windows right and when i t- and i have to be careful when i have new athletes because i'll talk to them about decades sometimes <laughs> i'm like look i've been doing this for 20 years and i'm still getting faster so guess what? Like you can too if you think about it that long term. But it can be scary. And that's where I just encourage people, you got to fall in love with the process, with the work. Because then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long you're doing it. I mean, I, I'll do it for another 20 years. I don't care. At some point, I won't care if I get faster or not. I still don't even care now. I still want it, but I don't care because I've fallen in love with the process. Just dig into the process Get a coach who can help you think long-term to put the pieces together. But don't try to bite all that off at once. Right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was my third. What's your third? All right. So I want to check in on time because I've, I've got so many. I want to like figure okay, out which so I we're, we're at. I think we should do a 2.0 of this as well because <laughs> I've got so. some good content. We probably need a 2.0. We're right. at 54 minutes. We probably got another 20. Okay. So, I mean, we're probably looking at only like. Three or four more, maybe. All right. Well, I've got one protective one that I do want for the psyche of runners, but I'm going to save it if we got 20 more minutes. So I'm going to go. I covered a, a undertrained. I want to go to overtrained. Um, so again, another reason why I said look at it in buckets and figure out which one you're in in this season. Because what I would never want are those athletes who are putting in the work. They're they're crushing their body and their souls, and they're investing in every form of recovery just to stay alive they're spending a lot of money on it they're doing the work and I would never want them to hear that first point of oh I just didn't do enough work somehow I've got to double down again um, I've seen athletes overtrain. your body can go catabolic you're not developing um, you're just literally running yourself into the ground time and time and time again so to that athlete um, some t- I've seen it. I've seen it happen. People put in their best season and then just have a terrible race day and conditions were perfect. So they can't even blame the weather. Um, and what I want to say to those athletes, um, it's li- like, I've seen it. You're, you're, you're overtrained, but the good news is your next season, if you adjust and get it all in balance, 
just might be one of your most beautiful seasons. And I've got a great anecdotal piece to that. Um, I had an athlete I trained that, that ran under John Shrupp, and he did get her to her, her PR at the time. So she actually got results on that day. She got a PR. She definitely got better. But her body was wrecked. Shin splints left and right. She didn't even really want to walk after the race. Um, and the idea of coming back to training was a little bit scary because she knew how much work she had put in. To this day, it's still her PR, and it's been, I think, eight years was I got to train her that season afterwards, but I promise you I will take zero credit for that training. It was the work she did in that last cycle under Shrupp that while she wanted it in that particular race season and on that particular race day, she got it six months later. And so if that's the case, there's good news. One, you can overtrain. So you got to figure out a way to get your body in balance and lean on a coach or an advisor to figure out if you are overtraining. But two, if you overtrained and it wrecked your race, there's good news coming. That next season is going to be beautiful if you get it right in the training cycle. Yeah, all that work still counts for something for sure. So I had this one on my list, but I had actually split it up into two, two different things. And it, it kind of gets to what does overtraining look like. So I'll give those quickly now. One of them is running too fast all the time. How do you get overtrained? You run too fast all the time. You got to balance your paces so that every day has a purpose. You're balancing your quality days where you're going fast with your easy running days, with your recovery days where you're running, but you're going super slow, glacially slow, as I like to say, with your long runs, which might have a little different pace associated with it. Every day, in a sense, should have its own pace and recovery days look different from easy days look different from quality days look different from long run days look different from week to week even within those types of days based on how you feel and what your body needs a recovery run today might be slower than a recovery run next week depending on your body's recovering from a workout or long run so not only does going too fast all the time put you in a place of overtraining but it also actually is sub-optimized in terms of aerobic development because you're 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 just hammering it'd be like going into the gym and doing bench press every day <laughs> maxing out bench press every day yeah you would not get as strong with your with your pecs or your chest doing that because you're just hammering the same thing all the time and same as in running you got to modulate your pace every day has a purpose for that and most importantly, as a part of that, make sure you're going slow enough on your easy days, which I've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. And for me, like today's a perfect example. Yesterday, we did that, that pretty tough workout. Tanga Manga. Oh, Tanga Manga Firelake. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> I don't want to dance mean, it was, anymore. It was, <laughs> it was spicy, <laughs> right? And and we, we don't need to go into details, but it was a hilly Firelake that had some pretty intense pace associated with it. It was a hot and humid day and I was pretty aggressive, maybe more aggressive than I should have been with some of the early, early paces and didn't quite dial in until I got until my body told me <laughs> that I needed to dial back. But anyway, I mean, I was running certain sections of that far, like at five forty X pace too fast Ouch. by the way, but five forty X pace and recovering in the sevens on the easier sections today easy run recovering from that work i averaged 850s so 
three minutes a mile slower than my fastest work yesterday, at least a minute and a half slower than some of my off sections in that far lake. And that's what my body needed today. And by the way, I haven't looked at it on Strava, but I guarantee you the first mile was slower than 10 minutes because it was just like, get out, try to get these legs moving again, get the blood flowing, get things working, and then we'll go from there. And so that's to give, just give you some sense, but that's what my body needed on the day so that tomorrow when we go back to Team Rogue, I can show up. So that's one thing. Not, don't run too fast all the time. Second thing is not recovering well, which includes the recovery running I just talked about, but also the other things you need, the foam rolling, the massage, if that's what works for you, the, as you said, time maybe just laying on your back, letting the central nervous system recover as you cool down, the eating well and a balance after a workout to start to refuel and rebuild those muscle groups you got to recover. And if you're not recovering well, if you're not balancing stress and rest, you're going to get overtrained. Anything to add there? Or shall we move on to mine? No, I say we move on to the All next right. one. Um, so that was your third, a good one. We'll go to my fourth. And this one is a little bit like your, your undertraining concept, but I think it's a, it's a, it's yours was, was more about being inconsistent or not doing the total body of work, you know, within a cycle that might be prescribed. For me, there's also this idea that people that don't get their goals don't don't take enough time within a training block to appropriately periodize that training block to get to a peak that matters. And so a lot of people, again, as I just mentioned before, want to microwave their fitness in the short term too, not just in the long term. And they want to say, all right, I can get a marathon PR in 12 weeks or even 16 weeks. You'll, if you go online and search marathon schedule, you can find a 12 week schedule. You can find a 16 week schedule. Guess what? At Rogue, we write 20 to 25 week schedules <laughs> for a marathon for half, by the way, pretty much the same 20 to 25 week schedules. Why? Because you need to properly build the cake. You got to start with layer one, build layer two, build layer three, and on up. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It's not going to taste as good. You can't get that peak to be as high. And so you have to layer the training appropriately, which means giving yourself enough time. I mean, heck, I got an email today from a guy who said, hey, I want to join your group. I'm training for the Berlin Marathon. Berlin is the last week in September. It's now June 5th here. Guess what? We started Toronto training, which is October 20th, the first week in May. So that's three weeks after Berlin. <laughs> and he's coming to me four weeks after we started. So he's seven weeks short, basically, and wanted to be able to get to something in Berlin. He has a specific goal. And the ultimate answer to him, honestly, is it's not going to happen. You're too late. Yeah. Now, we can get something in Berlin, perhaps, if he wants to join now. We can still do the race and salvage something, but we're not going to get the peak of what he's capable of because we don't have enough time to properly establish the base, to then build aerobic strength, to then focus on race-specific speed and pacing, to then taper and freshen 
up the body for race day. You can't shortcut a training block. And people time and time again want to do that. Or they'll do a race and they won't be what they want. And then they'll turn around and sign up for something four or six, four or six weeks later thinking that they can just magically extend their fitness to that point. Again, that's not the way it works. You've got to reset, rebuild, and start the process over again. So that's another reason to me that people don't get their goals is because they don't take enough time within each block. Yeah, it's almost like um, that Berlin goal is just, okay, just finish. It's like, what do you want out of it? Um, It's Steve's old statement of getting people fit enough to train them. So the training comes after just getting them up to that volume base. Um, You know, my only response um, to it is it just just got me thinking about uh, periodization and methodology. Like, you know, Arthur Lydiard's old formula, I loved it. It was the first thing I memorized when I was coaching. You need three weeks to taper. Um, You need your down week. You need about four weeks for speed. You need a down week. You need four weeks for uh, strength. You need a down week. And then you have base before that. But he even says base could be six, eight weeks, or it could be two years. Like you, you, that, that base is that whole part of just building up enough volume so you can actually handle the work that's about to come your way. I think Jack Daniels, when you layer his stuff on top of Lydiard's, um, he says that, uh, any exposure to a certain training less than four weeks won't allow you to get the actual adaptation that you were seeking. And anything, uh, longer than six weeks, you start to taper off. So you need at least four to six weeks in any given mesocycle within that macro cycle. Um, so yeah, the, I'm, I just figured I'd maybe insert a few reasons as to why we need that space. You know, your body's got to be able to adjust to the volume. Then it's got to adjust to the strength within the volume. Then it's got to adjust to the speed within the strength that was built on the volume. <laughs> and then we need your body to feel fresh and ready on race day. We're giving it a lot. Um, so if you want to hit that Berlin goal, I mean that Berlin race, it's finish it so your body can run 26 and then let's go train you for real. Yeah, exactly. But in our society now, in this Instagram world, everybody wants results yesterday or tomorrow or in four weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks. And it just takes longer than that. And the magic though And to me, the sales pitch for approaching it that way, for those that might be overwhelmed by having to do that much work before race or who might think that that's going to be hard for them to maintain that focus for that long. To me, the part of the sales pitch is that work properly layered, that cake properly layered, you're going to be able to eat that thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily in a sense that you're going to be able to then jump on another race right away but that foundation that base stays with you so the next time you start a training cycle you start from a higher base you then again after another cycle you start from a higher point so it's it's work that never goes away because you're building aerobic capacity aerobic foundation which is the very building blocks of speed and fitness getting more oxygen to your working muscles and improving those working muscles ability to process oxygen all that work all that foundational work never goes away so think of it not just as investing in a given race that might be five months away you're investing in a race that might be 10 years away and it'll pay off there too if you do it the right way all right what's your next one all right so um i want to throw this one in there just in case time runs out but 
Uh, again, it's to protect the psyche of some and figure out which bucket you're in. But um, sometimes it's just not your day. It's not always your fault. I'm speaking to the listeners right now. We want to try to cover every single angle we possibly can on maybe something you did do or didn't do that you could tweak. But even when you get it all right, sometimes it's just not your day. I'm thinking of, I don't think she's down and out and she won't be embarrassed for me saying this. She's, I don't think she's that bothered. But I'm thinking of one of my athletes, Leanne Miller. I think if we gave her a 40-degree day right now, and we just mapped out 26 miles for her and set out water, she'd hit her BQ standard right now. She, I, I am so confident in her. She's absolutely fit enough. We flew out to Vancouver. I thought it was all in the bag. In fact, I was thinking she's going to BQ, and she's going to give herself cushion time, and she's going to say, I was already ready for that speech of, you didn't even know you had that in you. You surprised yourself. She's that fit. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. It wasn't her day. In fact, it wasn't a lot of people's day in Vancouver this year, and that's nobody's fault. I have never run and win like that. I don't think, except for I ran it last year, but it was more of a jog to finish last year, but um, I forgot it starts at 8.30 their time, which our bodies, that's 10.30 out here. It felt like we were doing like a midday activity, but we're supposed to be amped up and ready to race. And Anyway, that's just one simple example, uh, but sometimes, you know, we've got, so many eggs in one single basket when we marathon train we're trying to make everything come together on that one single day and so sometimes it's just not that day and the good news is we can recover go back into a a shorter training cycle and go get it but yeah sometimes it's out of our control i'm dating myself maybe with this reference but it it reminds me of the goodwill hunting scene (laughs) <laughs> with with Robin Williams and Matt Damon, where Robin yes. Williams is basically holding on to Matt Damon and saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And just continuing to say it, basically indicating that his his challenges with his, his childhood and his upbringing and, and all the chaos that caused for him mentally wasn't his fault. He could stop beating himself up over that, over it, or or over the struggles that have come because of it. And finally, Matt Damon breaks down crying and just accepts that truth. Yeah. That it isn't his fault and that it's okay. And I agree with you. Sometimes it's just not. Sometimes it just it doesn't happen. You're putting all a lot of eggs, especially for us marathoners, you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket in one day. I mean, I had a bunch of people from our podcast training group do the Bay Shore Marathon. And it was 62 degrees and 90 plus percent humidity at start this you know recently and i don't care who you are i mean yeah there's going to be the handful of the exception on those type of days that, that happen to have everything align up and get their goal that day but for the most part though that's not a good marathon day and if you go for it anyway you're probably not going to get it because guess what physics and chemistry <laughs> like yeah. heat is the enemy of of movement whether it comes in the form of friction or whether it comes in the form of messing up chemical reactions, that's that's just, you can't do it. And so, anyway, so there were a lot of people that were disappointed, but it just wasn't, just wasn't the day. Yeah, It wasn't the day, and it's okay. And all that work still counts and comes back. And, yeah, you have to rebuild the layers again, 
But as I just said, it all comes forward with you. You know, go ahead. uh, I I think some people might still want to fight it because they'll 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 think um, I had a golf coach growing up that would be like, you got to be prepared for all conditions. We're going to play in the rain. We, we, we still got to win. We got to know that no matter what comes our way, we're prepared for all conditions. There is a level of truth to that in running. Yes, you got to be prepared for what to do on a hot day, a windy day, etc. But still, there are we can control a lot. And for our little fragile egos, we, we need to be reminded of that. We can control a lot, true. Ultimately, we're not in final control. There, is, there are factors in our lives that are just simply out of our control, and those we got to roll with. Yep. All right, I'm going to give my last here, and this may be our last because we're running low on time. And as you said, we may have to do a follow-up here, and I would love to get listener feedback on this, so maybe we can get some emails to react to. But my last one for today, <laughs> because I'm fast-forwarding a little bit to the end of my list, which is that those that don't get their goals don't recognize that they have to train the mental as well as the physical. And so often we become so focused on the physical side of the sport that we neglect the mental side. And we talked a little bit already about some of those elements, the confidence, the purpose, dialing those things in, believing. But it's more than that. It's... It's also can be very tactical. I was listening to a podcast actually yesterday talking to the, the interviewer was talking to Abby Wambach, who's the greatest goal scorer in soccer history, men or women. She scored more goals internationally than any other player. And this interviewer was asking her about how. You know, how did you score so many goals? And it's not even close, by the way. I mean, she's way off the charts. And one of the things she talked about was her visualization techniques. And she said it came in a lot of different forms. It would come in the form of laying on the floor after practice, before practice, meditating to herself and just visualizing how a game might go, how a play might happen, how she might receive the ball and what she's going to do with it. She would spend long periods of time by herself doing that. She also said that during the national anthem, she had this ritual where she would, during the second half of the anthem, close her eyes and visualize like 15 different ways that she might score in that game. (laughs) And, And then she would go make it happen. And she said, look, I don't, at the end of the day, I don't know how I scored so many goals because there's so many things that have to happen. You know, you're reliant on your team to get you the ball in the right position. And if you look at the great strikers in the world, great forwards, they tend to have this, almost this magical power to will a goal in the moments that you need it. And she said for her, it was because I'd done it before in my head. And all I had to do was trust my teammates to deliver the ball in a thousand different ways that had already received and then turned and shot or headed it or whatever, whatever made the move. I'd already received it a thousand different ways and more to then take that delivery and put it in the back of the net. And so then it was just a matter of 
plan that out physically. And so visualization to me as a runner sounds cheesy. We've talked about we talked about it before. It's a tool I use in little bits and I'll also spend time visualizing an entire race before I go and race that race when I get to that that final taper period. So that's a tactic. Developing mantras that mean something, practicing using them, not just in races, but also during workouts to find the phrase, the words that really work for you and that are going to resonate in those moments. That's a tactic. Developing other tools. For me, going fishing. I talk about it all the time in my pre-race talks. Finding those bodies that are ahead and reeling them in and racing them in that little race within a race. Huge tactic for me. Counting. I did it in the workout yesterday. I was struggling in that four-minute segment <laughs> at the end of the fartlek, and I. But I knew that if I counted to thirty, after I got through a minute, I was like, I, I can get through a minute, and then I'm gonna start counting to thirty. And I started counting to thirty six times, or uh, sorry, uh, yeah, six times <clears throat> over the final three minutes to just think in my head, I I can do anything for thirty seconds. Count to thirty. Push for thirty seconds. And then when I got to the end of that 30, I started again. Pushed for 30 more seconds. Did that for three minutes to get through that last bit of that fart lick. And it gave me a tool, a tactic, a way to distract myself from the fact that I was suffering yeah. <laughs> pretty damn good right in that moment. So you've got to find the things that work for you. That's that's a set of things that work for me. But you got to work on that stuff. Put it to work. Practice it. Take, take a tactic from somebody else. Use it. Use it more if it works. Discard it for you if it doesn't work. You got to work on that side as well as the physical. Yeah, um, mental is so expansive, and we could take it in a thousand directions. Um, but a couple things that jumped into my mind that maybe I'll just boil down quickly, given time, um, are um, you know it, it's how I developed my the the first speech we did together for the marathon, and I shared it on this podcast. But um, the ability to break it down. And just breaking down a race into segments, um, I knew that like I needed to be calm like a monk on the front end and then move into like an all-business mindset and then move into an enjoy-the-day kind of mindset and then move into a mindset of responsibility where I'm just going to like miles 16 through 20 where I'm just going to do the work that I said I would do kind of handle myself like an adult and then in that last phase go meta like go deep go into the dark energies find that why tap into purpose and then find a way to get through it but ultimately what it comes down to for me is um, when we talk about suffering in a race um, one just on the front end that mental preparation of knowing I'm gonna suffer like don't don't um, don't paint a picture of like yeah it's gonna be great you worked really hard and it's all gonna come together for you no, you still got to go in there and fight. Um, so mentally being prepared that you will suffer, um, then breaking it down and being compartmentalized along the way. That's why I came up with those ideas of, of different hats that I would wear throughout the race. But ultimately, I, I talk to my athletes about this all the time. If I'm going to run a marathon, um, t- my average time is four hours. My PR is like 336. Um the most I will actually suffer. So one, I'm going to prepare to suffer, but then I also remind myself the most I'm ever going to suffer on race day, max one hour. Shortest, probably 30 minutes, but that means I wasn't PRing, right? So I typically boil it down to those last six miles. In that window, I will suffer. So the goal for me is just like a coaxing or, or the mental strategy for me is like, hey, get on the plane, get out there sleep well the night before, set your stuff out, 
enjoy the race. And then get yourself to that 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 20 mile mark where you're poured out and you're empty and you're just squeezed like a sponge and then deal with it. I just prepare myself to deal with one hour of excruciating either mental or physical pain, oftentimes both. But by boiling it down, I convince myself that it's possible. Like, I guess I'm just, I didn't realize where I was going with that all uh, <laughs> until I realized, I guess I'm just sharing my mental strategy. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I just convinced myself, marathons are one hour of pain. That's it. Instead of 26 miles of suffering, that's too much for my brain to handle. I probably won't even show up if I had to suffer for 26 miles. But knowing I need to suffer for one hour, all right, I can get to the start line. You can handle it. I can handle it. <laughs> and that, by the way, for those that want to go back and listen, episode eight, where we talked about Austin Marathon and Half Marathon strategy with you, James. Lots of good mental stuff in there for those that might want to re-listen. This has been awesome, James. We're going to definitely have you back on for a second version of this episode where we'll go through the rest of the things on our list and hopefully maybe answer some listener questions or get to some listener emails based on what may have resonated with people. So if anything we said made you feel something, then react in an email, send it to me, chris at roguerunning.com, and we'll talk about it on the next version of this. So thanks, James, for joining me. This has been an awesome discussion. What else? Final thought. Oh, no, I was just going to say, as always, thank you so much. I loved it. I love, especially just knowing you, I get to riff with you. Um, But just to plant a little seed, two of my favorite that I'm most excited, I don't know that they're the most important, but they're meaty. They're still Still on this list, list? and I didn't get to share them because Uh. I think when I bring them up, your eyes are going to light up, and you're going to be like, that's my (laughs) subject. That's my topic. Nice. I've got a lot to say on them, but you're going to get fired up, and I'm not going to tell you because you rarely tell me the topic before we get into this. That makes me excited. Hopefully, that's a good teaser for everybody to listen to the next version of this. We'll get you back, James. Thanks again for joining me. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Happy Global Running Day, everyone. This has been episode 132 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.